unto him who has loved us and has washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. Unto him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. God's word for our celebration of the Epiphany is the epistle for today. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 to 12, the words that I read to you earlier. My dear fellow believers in Jesus Christ, some of you may enjoy reading mystery novels or perhaps watching mystery shows on television. Agatha Christie wrote a number of them, and her character, Hercule Poirot, was a well-known detective in them. Likewise, Arthur Conan Doyle and his Sherlock Holmes character became quite famous. They're called mysteries because the point of the whole story is to figure out who did the crime, who did the mur murder. These are whodunits, huh? And it is a mystery to the reader until the very end when the culprit is finally revealed. Then the mystery is solved. There were lots of mystery religions in the Apostle Paul's day in that first century A.D. where you had to be uh, kind of in on the inner secrets of the religion you were in in order to understand it. In our sermon text for today, the Apostle Paul refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ as a mystery because it was something that, that mankind couldn't figure out on his own. The gospel had to be given to Paul by revelation, divine revelation. Well, that revelation we know today is God's word. It's the Holy Bible. But just like a diamond, this mystery of the gospel, well, of course it can be boiled down into the simple truth of how God has reconciled mankind to himself in Jesus Christ, yet this mystery of the gospel has many different facets to it. And two of those different facets are referred to in our scripture text for today. And they're listed there in your worship folder. And so this morning, let's remember this theme from God's word concerning the gospel. The mystery is solved. First facet or point. Gentiles are heirs of God with Jews. And secondly, the church displays God's gospel wisdom to the world. Since most of us, not all of us, are non-Jewish people, we're, we're Gentile people, we assume that this gospel of Jesus Christ applies to all people in the world, including us Gentiles, just as it does to the Jews. Yes, it does. But this was not always so readily apparent. Before the birth of Jesus, in what we call Old Testament times, God administered his plan of salvation through a special people, through the Jews. And this is why. 
after the flood of Noah, unbelief quickly displayed itself through those descendants of Noah. As those descendants went through the world and established nations, people very quickly began to fall away from the true God. So that these nations of the world after the flood, very soon afterwards, worshipped a false god. Worshipped false gods of their own making. But remember, God had promised the whole world a savior. And so God wanted to find a way to preserve that promise he had made until he kept it himself. And so he chose to call Abram from his unbelief to faith in himself. And he promised Abraham the land of Canaan. And he promised Abraham all kinds of descendants that would become a great nation. And he promised Abraham that one of those descendants would be Messiah, would be the Christ. He'd be the savior of the whole human race. Note well, God didn't choose Abraham because Abraham was better than the people of the nations around him. As someone once told me, how, how odd of God to choose the Jews. God chose Abraham because he wanted to bless the whole human race through him. In the time before the birth of Jesus, Gentiles had always been a part of God's plan to save people. The Old Testament prophets referred to the God of Israel as the God of all people, as the Lord of the nations, and that all those pagan gods that the nations around them had, they weren't really gods at all, the prophets said. They were just idols, a word that simply means nothingnesses. Huh? But generally, God didn't have his Jewish prophets go throughout the whole world and proclaim his word to all people before the birth of Jesus. For before God's people could do that, the Savior had to be born. And he had to live in place of mankind. And he had to die for the sins of the world. The Savior then had to rise again from the grave, had to conquer death, and then go back into heaven and set up his kingdom in the hearts of his people. Then and only then could the Holy Spirit come in all of his fullness and all of his power and empower Jesus' disciples to proclaim the gospel throughout the whole world. The Old Testament was a time when God's people were called on to approach God through the descendants of Abraham, through the Jews, through the people of Israel. Not anymore. The mystery of the gospel that Paul is talking about here in our scripture text is that in these New Testament times in which we are living now, after the birth, life, and death, and completed work of Jesus, that no longer do we come to God through the Jews. They are no longer God's special people. They are just another nation among the nations. Now the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are brought in at the same level. Listen to verse 6 in our text. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. 
Now that Jesus Christ has finished God's work of redemption, the plan of salvation is no longer channeled through Israel to the Jews. Their nation brought the Savior into the world, but now the whole world can come to God directly through Jesus Christ in their own culture. And by simple trust in Jesus, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can come to God because Jesus has completely won your salvation. The mystery is solved, huh? All people can come to God through Jesus. There are some really neat application points of this truth for us New Testament Christians. First off, race and ethnicity don't mean anything to God. See, it doesn't matter to God whether you're Jewish or Gentile. On the basis of what Jesus has done for us, all that matters is whether we put our trust in him. On the basis of what Jesus has done for us, we can all now come to God and we can receive directly from him his forgiveness of sins and his eternal life. And if it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, then it obviously also doesn't matter whether you're black or white, whether you're Hispanic or Asian or any other race for that matter, huh? Likewise, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, male or female, or what nation you're a citizen of. It's not that these differences aren't there. It's just that when it comes to a relationship with God, they don't matter. Everybody in this world can rejoice in Jesus as their Savior, whatever their race, ethnicity, and culture, and are accepted by God through their trust in Christ. That's one application of this scripture. Another application is given unto us by the Apostle Paul himself here in the text. He says this, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because Gentiles could approach God on the same level as Jews, Paul was given a special gift of God to share the good news with them. And so Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles, Jewish though he was. Huh? God had specially equipped Paul to be such a missionary to non-Jewish people. We see that in the book of Acts, traveling all around the Greek-Roman world, starting Christian congregations all over the place. Paul, you see, had a unique spiritual gift to do that kind of work. So also each one of us has a unique role in life to share the gospel of Jesus. All of us are called on to witness, but we're not all alike. Each of us has been endowed by God with special gifts that can build up the body of Christ and build up this oneness that we have in the body of Christ. 
These unique endowments of God gifts to us are often called spiritual gifts. And no two of us are completely alike. There are lists of some of these spiritual gifts in the Bible. For example, later on in this same letter to the Ephesians, there's a list. There's one in 1 Corinthians, in the book of Romans, in 1 Peter. These lists include such things as, well, a special endowment to preach, or to teach, or to teach little children, right? Or to counsel someone who's hurting. They include such things as being able to organize and administer things. They include the ability to share a specific word of knowledge of God's word or a specific word of wisdom to an individual situation. They include such things as generosity and a willingness to give people the shirt off your back and a willingness to serve behind the scenes in various ways. These lists of gifts also include such things as being a good leader, a healer, an advice giver. On and on it goes. The lists in the Bible are not exhaustive, and any lists we would come up with today are not exhaustive either. But because the body of Christ is one, and we all are members of it, there is today still no, neither Jew, nor Greek, nor German, nor black, nor white, nor Hispanic, nor male, nor rich, nor American, nor whatever you want to put into the blank. Because we can all use our special gifts to build our fellow Christians up. Now, that's one facet of God's mystery of the gospel. Paul talks about today that Jews and Gentiles are all members of one body. But just like a good mystery novel has lots of different facets, like that diamond, so also the mystery of God's gospel plan has different facets to it too. And another one that Paul refers to in our scripture text is that the church displays God's wisdom to the world. Let's look at this aspect of God's gospel. As again, we remember, the mystery is solved. First, we must remember what the church of God is. The church is not first and foremost a building, or a congregation, or a denomination, or an organization. The church is first and foremost people. God's people, whom Jesus has redeemed with his own blood. And people who through the power of the Holy Spirit have come to trust in Jesus because of that fact. And so the church is Christians. It's all Christians. It's all believers in Jesus over this whole wide world. The church is all people who in their heart lean on Jesus Christ and see in him their way to have a relationship with God. And because such of a faith in Jesus is what makes us part of God's church and because only God can see such faith, the church of Jesus is essentially invisible. It's invisible, not to God. The Lord knows those who are his. But it's invisible to us, to mankind, because we cannot see faith. 
This is the church that we are confessing in the Apostles' Creed when we say, I believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Now, even though we can't see the church, we know where to find it. The church is going to be wherever God's word and the sacraments are being used. Only God's word can create and maintain faith in Jesus. And since God's word never comes back to him empty, we know that wherever the Bible is being read, wherever the word of God is being shared, wherever baptisms are being done, wherever Christians are announcing the absolution that Jesus told us to announce, that's where the church is. So there have to be some true believers here at Our Savior. There have to be some true believers here at 1332 Arrowhead Road in Grafton because the word is used here and the sacraments are used here and God's word never comes back empty. And so we properly can refer to Lutheran churches and Baptist churches and Pentecostal churches and Roman Catholic churches because the word of God is being used there. And some people will always believe it. One of the facets of God's mystery that the Apostle Paul refers to today is that this church, God's people, make known to the spirit world this gospel wisdom of God. Listen again to verse 10 and 11 in our text. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying here that God's people here on this earth, Christians and Christian churches, right, that as they proclaim the gospel all over the world, as they use God's word, that they are showing God's gospel wisdom even to the holy angels and to all the forces of the underworld, too. Think of that. The holy angels are watching us Christians. They're listening to us Christians. They're observing us Christians and marveling at us Christians as we do our missionary work all over this planet. Now, if it's true that the church is displaying God's wisdom to the angels, then the church is also displaying God's wisdom to the people of this world. In other words, the real wisdom of God is found in the church, in the preaching of the word to the nations. And that this is really the only true wisdom that this world has. It's found in the word. It's found in the Bible. It is no wonder that Paul counts this as one of the facets of the mystery of the gospel. Because the world doesn't think that way, huh? The world is so enamored of itself and of its own figured-out wisdom, huh? The world is so hung up on how smart it is, right? And how intelligent it is. But God tells us that real wisdom is only found in the words of the apostles and prophets in the words of the Bible. Or to put it another way, that the things this world considers wisdom are the greatest foolishness to God unless those things also find their root and basis in the scriptures. 
all true godly wisdom has to focus in on Jesus Christ. Paul says, in Christ and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Two beautiful terms he uses. Huh? It is only through Christ that we can come to God, pray to God, and find meaning in life. Freedom here means the freedom we have from the guilt, the damn you of our sins, right? The freedom to view God as our friend, our dear Heavenly Father who loves us, even when some terrible things might happen to us. And confidence refers to that trust that we have that God hears and answers all of our prayers and does that according to his will, that there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer to God. Because you see, in Christ Jesus, God has bared his heart to us and has promised that he will answer every single one of our prayers according to his eternal wisdom. Truly, this... <laughs> This is a mystery of the gospel, isn't it? Because mankind always thinks that, that prayers are answered only if he gets what he wants. But the gospel allows us to change how we think about that. That we know God hears and answers those prayers even if we don't get what we want because it's what God wants. Ah, yes. The mystery today is solved. We have all the answers we need in this plot of life that we're living in our Savior Jesus. Oh, I know that doesn't mean that we still don't struggle at times with the specifics of what God is doing to us in our own personal lives on a daily basis. Remember, the story of our lives, for that matter, the story of all Christians' lives, the story of the church, if you will, right? It's still being written. In a certain sense, we are still writing Luke's book of Acts because the church is going on, right? And there are facets of the mystery of God's gospel for us Christians that will continue to remain a mystery for us Christians here on this earth until we get to heaven. But my friends, we do know how the mystery turns out at the end. We know what happens at the end of the book. We know the end of the story. Jesus Christ wins. And in him, we win too. Because our Jesus is going to come back in glory. He's going to set up a brand new kingdom for all of his people of all time. It's just a matter of time until that happens. And that is the ultimate solution to the mystery. Amen.